exciting stuff. Hype? Yeah, I'm a little. Did you actually pers- watch the game Saturday? I did. I, um, like I said last week, it's it was kind of a, a win win or a lose lose depending on how I wanted to look at it. All of my money, all of my brackets were riding on Kansas winning, which kind of gave me that one differentiating factor. But I'm really happy Nova won. I'd much rather Nova win than than me win some money. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. Um, they looked it looked really good Saturday night. Um, I think this continues to be a weird feeling as a Nova fan. And if you're not, you know, imagine for me they are up there with any of the pro teams. Um, you know, you go there. That was, you know, it's a big part of your life for four years. I like them growing up, you know, mildly. But then, you know, going there, it, it puts it in a new light. Um, starting there, the year that Jay started there, really kind of gives you like some sort of feeling of ownership and pride in what they're doing because you sort of saw where this all started and, and where it's gotten to. So, you know, imagine this is the Eagles or the Flyers, and they are now, you know, not only going up against and beating the Patriots which was, you know, kind of similar to Nova's first one two years ago. But, you know, fast forward two years later and you're the 9 Phillies and you're sort of the powerhouse and uh, right up there with the big dog. And in this case, favored against the big dogs. Um, it's a really cool feeling. Um, I, You know, I, I think they're going to win. You know, I think they're six-point favorites right now. Uh, which is kind of like I said, I didn't think it would be that much of a bigger line against Michigan or or Loyola um, than it would have been over uh, Kansas. I, I think Michigan is is arguably as good, if not better, than Kansas. So um, Jay Wright continues to prove his his coaching prowess over Bill Self. I think putting the, to bed my argument from two years ago that I got a ton of shit over. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's pretty crazy that they're favored. I, I would say this about the game the other night, though. They shot so well. That's, you know, that's not repeatable. That's breaking. That's record-breaking shooting they had. And if there's one pa- not cause for concern, um, but they were shooting really well, and for a long stretch in the first half, they were continuously only up 12 or 13 points despite that shooting. And Kansas was actually hanging with them pretty well. And matching them bucket for bucket a little while there. But Nova had already built up that 15-point lead. And then it was 12, and then it was 16, and kind of back and forth. So it, it, it never really seemed that way. But there's there's definitely some some areas they could have tightened up on defense. And uh, Michigan, I will say this, John Beeline is, is one of the best coaches in the country. Uh, I forget the exact numbers, but he has, he has a winning record against Jay Wright. Uh, from his time with West Virginia. And that team and their backdoor cuts gave Jay Wright team fits. Uh, both coaches have, have advanced and progressed, and Jay Wright noted that Beeline has added a pick-and-roll element to their backdoor cuts with Michigan and just expanded that offense. So I don't think this is a pushover or a slam dunk at all. I think Villanova wins, but I'm not like I'm not running around doing uh, celebrations just yet either. So We said last week that we were thinking that, you know, because it was – going to be the saturday before easter that only made sense that sister jeans team would would clash with villanova today and uh you know since michigan had to go and ruin my favorite and many people's favorite cinderella story in the tournament i i hope i hope that that nova crushes the hell out of michigan plus i have a a co-worker who came out to the live the live pod at carlino's and he's a big michigan fan grew up in detroit and i kind of want to kind of want to watch him cry yeah, that's it. That's a good way to yeah. put it. But I'm, you know I'm, what? I the I, I do like the fact, and I, I think you're right, 
you know, when, when that Kansas game was going on, they got up, what was it, like 19 to 4? And then it, uh-huh. it just, that lead just kept extending. But, you know, sitting there watching it, you know, the thing that, that you just keep thinking is there's no way they're going to be able to continue to shoot the lights out like this. Uh, even it's not sustainable. It's a totally unsustainable model. We've talked about, you know, three point shooting in the pros before, especially like with Covington, um, you know, as a team to have set, what was it? Seven or eight guys in the first half who hit a three. Um, some of them were just so lights out Brunson taking over the game at an entire stretches is something that is obviously sustainable. Um, watching Spellman go out and I don't watch enough Nova games to know, the ins and outs of how they play, but I can't imagine that Spellman is going to go down the floor two or three straight possessions and and nail a three at the top of the. Well, arc. he's actually well, correction. Uh, he's actually their best three point shooter. Which is, is he really? Thing. Yeah, uh, Spellman is. Yeah. Wow. Statistically, I believe um, he was tops in the regular season. He used to be a forward in high school, and then he grew. Yeah, he's he's an NBA player. Wait, he's baby and beat. I said it after two games. Um, I said he's baby and beat. Um, he, you know, he, he doesn't quite have the polish and the sheer size, but he's got an Embiid-like game. Yeah, he's ridiculous. He's he was a big-time recruit, and then this sucks. He couldn't play last year um, because some goofy high school transfer classes, his charter school classes didn't transfer. Some bullshit NCAA thing, and and I get that classes aren't bullshit, but you know. The, the stuff that goes on in the NCAA, this was a minor thing. He had to sit out the year. And uh, I think they would have um, been much better than losing to Wisconsin in the second round last year if they had Spellman and probably would have potentially contended for for a title again because he would have given them a, a totally different dimension. That said, had he played last year, he'd probably be turning pro right now. So I'm kind of glad it looks like he's going to stick around for at least another year. Go ahead. Sorry. No, that's okay. I'm, I'm glad that you corrected that. Like I said, I, I don't watch – we established this before. I don't really watch college basketball until we get to the tournament. But um, I haven't totally come around on your DiVincenzo point about him being, you know, a, a potential successful pro. But I will say that his athleticism does totally differentiate him from uh, from Archie Diacono. And yeah, that was, yeah. uh, you know, you know, in the past you'd said that was just because they were white guys. And it was, it was in the limited – the limited amount of game that I had seen, I just kind of saw him as a shooter and I, I didn't see a lot of that athleticism on, on display, but a few of the rebounds he had over the weekend. Um, and I think even going back two games, you know, it, it definitely, um, I, I don't know if I would buy DiVincenzo's stock, but I could see him being a really, really late second round pick, or maybe he becomes the undrafted free agent, depending on when he comes out, um, who, who could be a, a steal depending see- on, on how things play out. See, you know, what I would say is, to me, he kind of has, we were talking about whose games you're mind. it's kind of Josh Hart-like. I don't know, maybe somebody will correct me on that. But he's kind of that type of player, uh, really athletic, super aggressive, you know, probably a little bit undersized, certainly undersized to be a small forward, which is kind of the type of game he has, sort of like Hart, but can shoot, can come inside, has hops, can get to the basket. You know, again, he's got two years left of, of college eligibility. Someone corrected me on his age and that he's either actually older or, or like three weeks younger than Brunson, one or the other, uh, when I said he was two years younger. My point was he's got two years left of college uh, if he wants it. He's only a, a sophomore um, and he's not going pro now. So I, I just think he's got a lot of upside. But uh, yeah, Spellman is... Spellman's one of their best shooters. Um, the model, I would say, is sustainable. I mean, that's what they do. They shoot threes. They sh- they hit more threes than any team in the history of college basketball this year. Um, 
<laughs> you can win that way. I mean, the Warriors prove it. The, the Sixers are, you know, kind of proving it. Like, it's, it's the new it's the new version of basketball, and Villanova has, you know, they were ahead of the, you know, small ball lineups 10 years ago, um, and I wouldn't say they're ahead of this, but they're smack dab in the middle of a curve and, you know, pretty much leading college basketball in terms of, of running an offense this way. So the model's sustainable. Hitting that many isn't sustainable, but that's okay. Like, you know, they don't need to hit 13 to be good. Uh, I, I th- like to look at the Kansas game this way. Even if they were to have... You know, they're averaging in the 40% range. Um, even if they were to have missed four of those threes in the first half and just straight up miss them and the ball gets rebound and goes the other way, you take away 12 points, they're still leading that game. Um, you know, say nothing of, you know, they would have found out some other ways to score. So that would have been a, a healthy um, regression, and they still would have been, you know, in control of that game or leading that game. So... Um, you know, they don't need to shoot lights out. And the thing is, it's not fluky with them. It's not, they weren't, they're not just unconsciously jacking up threes from all over the place. It's, you know, they get great looks and you see guys, DiVincenzo in one case, pass up a look, I think to get either Spellman or Pascal one in the corner. You see Jalen Brunson on the first or second three of the game. Uh, I think it was Spellman again in the corner. I, I, I forget who, um, but he had a, uh, he had a pass where he's kind of at the 45 degree angle mark and he has a wide open shooter in the corner, but rather than just dump it off to him, then he looks around. He's so hyper aware. Um, he has his defender on his hip. He has the other guy's defender kind of along the baseline. So rather than just pass it and risk a closeout, he takes two or three dribbles towards the baseline, towards that guy's defender, essentially screening that defender in the process. And then he does that little turnaround underhand pass uh, back to the corner for now what's a wide open three with sort of a blocker in front of him. Kind of the way Markel Fultz assists have looked in these first few games where he kind of gets in between the defender and the shooter and then just dumps it backwards, which is a a nice little wrinkle um, that the Sixers are adding. Uh, Brunson has done that and and Villanova gets a lot of looks that way. So uh, I don't know. Good stuff all around. Yeah. Um, I do Do agree with that Fultz point. His, his little, his little shovel pass assists that he's been getting. I guess a little bit. I mean, Fultz, Fultz's ability to collapse the defense, I think, you know, even at this point, is still that much more lethal. But um, well, yeah, it's essentially I, I what he's it's doing, a, he, a, you know, he somewhat collapses them, yeah. and he 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 inserts himself between the defender, like the top of the paint, the defenders behind him, and then now the shooters, the shooters got some range. I think you can make a case that Simmons does a lot more of those shovel passes. To be honest, um, Fultz, I think, right now is still trying to thread that needle. A little bit too fine, although he really hasn't had the turnover issues that I think a lot of people have expected. But yeah, I, I get get your point. Um, he did it. A, he did it a lot that first game, and I noticed it a couple times yesterday. Where you know he th- his assists aren't looking like much. You know they're not dimes or whatever. But the more I watch it, there's a subtle brilliance. And and this is you know kind of what I was referring to with that Brunson pass, where he sorts of he he just sort of like takes the man, turns his his you know his lower trunk into him, and then just shovels it, scoops it backwards, and you got a wide-open shooter. It's nice. I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Um, so that's Nova. We'll uh, watch watch the national championship tonight, and I'm sure we'll recap if they win on Wednesday. We'll act like it never happened if uh, if they lose. I do and I will talk about the <laughs> Gabe Kapler situation 
as well as a, a little nugget from the Sixers game. But first, I think we should have a, a fine word from our fine sponsor, I Do and I Will. Russ, did you know that, uh, according to The Knot, the national average for a wedding is $35,000? Mm. Did you I know did. that? Okay. I did, I did, Kyle. In yep. Philadelphia, that average is over $40,000. Um, Get out article, of town. There's an art, uh, a writer for BuzzFeed who tried to recreate her parents' 1974 wedding, where they spent $10,068. Uh, today, that wedding would have cost them $47,000. Uh, point is, weddings are expensive. And what if I told you there was a company that can help save couples 10 to 20% on their overall wedding cost? That's what we are introducing to Philadelphia today. Uh, I do and I will. Works to help get discounts on items for uh, your wedding that you need and want uh, so you can have all the things that you deserve. Uh, I do and I will is an innovative company founded by Ardmore native and St. Joseph's graduate Richard Supley and has powerful partnerships with companies such as Vera Wang, Southwest Airlines, Macy's, Yacht Week, Visa, Sephora, Brooks Brothers, Jose Bank, Casper, Brilliant Earth, and many, many more. Uh, I do and I will prides themselves on working with great companies, the premier companies in the industry to help save you money on your wedding, honeymoon, and more. Uh, you could check out their free app, I do and I will, and also a website um, I, t- coming soon, I believe. Uh, it is I do I will dot life. I, do, I, I love these little um, in in alternative to dot com and dot net. Uh, you could do all these like dot plumber and stuff like this. I like this. I do I will dot life. They do have a Facebook page that you can check out right now. Uh, it's just it. a, ver- a very simple search on Facebook. I do and I will. It has all of their events. It has all of their events and everything that that's coming up. So that that is another place you can go to find some information. If you can't find it, I believe they use an ampersand um, as opposed to an end. So if you can't find, I do and I will try to do and I will. Um, our, how do you pronounce an ampersand? Is it n or end? I have no idea. That's a, that's a good question. Um, our goal is that their goal is to help millennial couples who are facing financial hurdles starting their life together. Uh, and by the way, we have a live podcast to announce. Uh, the date and time has changed. It's going to be on. Is this a Wednesday, Russ? Wednesday, April eleventh. At Six Feet Under Gastro Pub. It's, uh, I believe it's in Old City. It's 727 Walnut. It's underground. It looks awesome. The food looks great. There are beverages. I think they're working out a special right now for everybody who comes out to the, uh, to the show. But it's uh, Wednesday, April 11th. So there you go. So we'll be there. We'll be live 7 p.m. Potting. I don't know if we said uh, 7 p.m., but 7 p.m. Live pod. Uh, even if, you know, hopefully you'll be interested in what I do and I will is going to be there posting up about, but even if you're not come out for the sports talk, stay for the financial advice and the powerful partnerships. So speaking of powerful partnerships, actually just speaking of powerful looking men, uh, let's talk about Gabe Kapler. Um, if, for those who don't know, uh, because this did go down during the Nova game Saturday night, um, <laughs> what i just i love it when when i i mean this in the nicest way i think nova's fantastic i like nova i didn't grow up with a a college team that i really believed all that much in but the idea that the entire philadelphia market stood still while nova played in in the final four is a little bit silly to me i'm wondering how many people who listen to the show uh were watching the nova game maybe they were but i think yeah there i still, think you're there's still the philly diehards who uh we're watching it, but go ahead. Sorry, well, the, the, you're right. There are definitely the Philly diehards. We could. This is an easy question to solve because uh, we could dig up. 
Uh, well, the Phillies ratings we might not be able to dig up, but I have a pretty good idea what their average rating is. We could dig up the Villanova ratings, no problem. Uh, I'm willing to bet more people in Philly absolutely watch the Nova game. Um, I mean, if if St. Joe, you know, again, I, no, you're, no, just, you're more. I get it. Game. You're more of a four for four guy. Uh, I think the average sports fan in Philly more than watching the this third baseball game of the year is watching the the final four with the local team. That's I don't even I don't even think it's close. But if you weren't or or if you just weren't watching because it was a Saturday night and it was the third game of the season and for, of a mediocre team. Um, Gabe Kapler goes out to the mound. Uh, Vince Velasquez throws a, a, a nice 69 pitches and, uh, you know, predictably can't go deep into the game. This is the third inning. Um, he's already, there's already five runs on the board. Gabe Kapler comes out, taps, uh, uh, Hilner. What is it? It's, to, uh, God, Toby Hilner. Joby. Joby. Thank you. Um, he taps him to come into the game without being warmed up. No, it's Hobie, Hobie Milner, right? Yeah, Hobie, Hobie Milner. Milner. Ho- yeah, Ho- well, Hobie Milner. There we go. Thank you. I had a professor um, in college with the name Joby. I always want to give everybody that name. No, it's Hobie Milner. Joby Hilliker? Yeah. What? He used to be my roommate. No. Yes. What? Yes. That's right. You went to Westchester. Yeah, I lived with Joby, meteorologist. What? <laughs> Holy crap. Our atmosphere with Joby Hilliker, maybe my favorite college course outside of my major at Westchester. Joby, That's why I was getting thrown oh off, too. Oh, my God. Joby, yes. his mom, uh, God, what was it? Shemung? Shemung, Shem- New Shem- York? Shemung. I could do a whole Joby oh impersonation for you. Shemung? Oh, my God. <laughs> Joby was great. If you go to Westchester and you're listening to this and you're, li- you're looking for a science credit that doesn't have a lab... I think it's ESS 170, Our Atmosphere, Joby Hilliker. Sign up. Tell them that you know Kyle. I can't believe that. What what year were you in college? Um, trying to think what year I would have taken his class. Probably like 2011. I was there okay. uh, like 08. Yeah, 08 to 12. Okay. I lived with him in 08 and 09. I- oh, my God. Wait, he was... What? Yeah, he was like going for 10 year then. I mean, he was, he was in his 30s then. He's not that wow. young. Oh, you well, don't mean college roommate. No, I lived with him while he was teaching. Whoa, we could have we could have known each other. What? He, yeah, long. We're getting off track, but this is this is a small world. I was uh, I was looking for a, an apartment, and basically just went on Craigslist, like for someone who had an extra room. And he had an apartment in Malvern um, that his uh, roommate had moved out of, uh, and basically got you know was forking over a good deal uh so i went up met him and yeah we we not only lived uh for a year and a half together in malvern i got the bigger room too because he didn't want to move his room after his roommate moved out uh but we also moved to westchester uh after our landlord sold the apartment and we got another one in westchester the next year uh until i was there for another year and then i i moved back home for a year to save some money but yeah wow how about that joby what a what a weird world we live in <laughs> Wow. He's right. an interesting guy. Dude, love the weather. Loves the weather. Oh, he loves loves the weather. All right. This doesn't I mean I used to travel for to... work then and he would give me uh he would give me uh forecast uh, to give you like uh, detailed uh, uh which which <laughs> we call it turbulence forecast before. Oh I my go god. I don't like flying. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the only people who are going to understand this or care are the people that I went to college with who also took our atmosphere with Joby Hilliker, but if you did uh, and you're not just one of our friends, uh, make sure you find us on Twitter. And uh, let us know how he impacted your life. Anyway. I think people could so, appreciate the small world nature of this. That really um, is crazy. All right. So, Gabe. 
So Gabe, yeah, so actually I'm looking at front and back page covers of the Daily News. Front page, Jay Wright, one more. Back page, um, <laughs> manager metrics and a picture of Gabe Kapler. So uh, the Daily News is bookended by coaching uh, uh, prowess and ineptitude. So yeah, he puts in, uh, puts in Hilner. He's not warmed up. Uh, the umpires allow him to warm up so his arm doesn't fall off. Braves manager comes out, argues, gets kicked out of the game. He was rightful in arguing that the Phillies shouldn't have been allowed to do this. After the games, the umpires sent someone to speak to, I guess, someone representing the media pool and say that, you know, look, we we ha- we couldn't let the guy get hurt. We thought it was best to just let him warm up, but the Phillies have to answer the league. The league should look into why he wasn't warmed up. Um, this and, is the third yeah, game Buster, of the year. Buster only was even the one. Um, I think this was the next day. He said that uh, Major League Baseball determined that Jerry Lane handled the Phillies pitching change the right way, given the circumstances. The Phillies will receive a formal uh, formal warning letter from MLB. The interesting thing, even in that, is uh, I think he had another tweet where he said that there had been no precedent for it before. Like, given the circumstances, you know, implying that the fact that Gabe Kapler just was not ready in any way, didn't have anybody going in the bullpen, and then signaled it. Look, you you can make a case in a, in plenty of ways that he was or wasn't the best potential hire, um, but that to me is an inexcusable thing. And if if it hadn't been for the fact that he had, you know, been a manager in a minor league team before, maybe you could have given him a pass. But he's been involved in organizations, he's been around teams, he's managed in the minor leagues. There's no excuse for not having a guy going in the bullpen, especially. Anybody who, who knows anything about the Phillies knows that Vince Velasquez doesn't go past five innings. I think it's half or just about half of his starts in his professional career for the Phillies. He hasn't been able to get out of the fifth inning. So the, like, I don't know why there was no plan in place. I don't know why Kapler screwed this up so poorly. And this, you know, once again, kind of wraps around to how big, how egregious of an error it was in the first game to take out Aaron Nola when he did. Because once again, you're looking at getting your bullpen out uh, three straight games. A lot of these guys are pitching a third of an inning, two thirds of an inning. You know, when you could have saved them in that first game, so it would have only been you know two games in a row that you're using a, like most of your pen. You know that that decision, you know, pretty much tainted the the entire series. I would say. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's hard to even have a, a discussion about this because all, everybody listening, speaking, is just going to uh, agree. But you're right. Like I, when I tweet, I tweeted after the you know the middle of that first game. I said he's already decimated the bullpen, and I got snark again from Sean Brace and some others being like, "Oh, you know, it's the first game." But like, no, this is this is the point. These things snowball. Um, you can't look, look. It, it's hard. I, it, we're we're in a weird spot here with judging Kapler because I'm trying to hedge against. Um, filleting him and then having him turn into Doug Peterson and we all look stupid. So trying to keep in mind that this is, you know, two decisions he's made in his first three games as manager. Um, but what's concerning about them is, is that unlike Charlie Manuel back in 05 and 06, where he admittedly struggled with the double switch and he did some really strange things, uh, particularly with the bullpen. I remember being outraged uh, at some point in college with what he was doing with the bullpen in a game against the Cardinals. I forget what it even was. Um, You know, there are going to be mistakes. First-time manager like this, uh, I get that. But this is not, you know, this is not the double switch, which is, you know, not 
not difficult, but also the something in the speed of the game. I could see how a, a new manager would sort of just, you know, kind of panic and, and screw that up. Um, I mean, this is basic, fundamental baseball stuff. I mean, stuff you're doing in video games from the age of eight, you know? I mean... This is stuff like, that any middle school, high school, youth league, rec league manager is going to, you know, yank whatever hair left they have on their head out of their head. It's, a, it's and this is why it's I, such a it's such an egregious error. It's a and fundamental tenet of baseball is warming up the pitcher, and this wasn't a, you know, there was nothing unique about this. Like Velasquez is a guy you 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 should be re- not only ready for that for, but like, it, you know, he wasn't pitching well. Like you, ha- it, it's just it's inexcusable whether he forgot or told something or they don't have the right chain of command to set up to be like, hey, when I tap you on the shoulder, you're the phone guy. Like whatever. Whatever fell there, that that is one hundred and ten percent on the manager. Um, you know the Nola decision, but I think you know what's making it worse. <laughs> There's these memes of of the Kapler's phone. It's pretty good. Um, I'm just looking on Twitter now. But what's making this worse is is that he his press conferences are somehow as bad as the decisions. And I said this the other day. Surprise! But there's something Trumpian about him. Because he's coming out with this false, it's totally different, you know, totally different subjects and styles and all that, but he's coming out with this false bravado. You know, it's great, so great. I have the best, the best. But, you know, I have great conviction. We're going to make the playoffs. I'm 100% confident. He's speaking in these platitudes after he just, you know, had two of the worst managerial decisions you're ever going to see. It's like they're not connecting with reality. And... You know, I, I don't expect him to go out there completely hat in hand and, you know, feeling bad about yourself. Like, all right, you screwed up. Just admit it and move on. Like, I'm okay with that. Like him saying, I'm not going to let, you know, three games, you know, have a, an impact on the whole season. Like, that's cool. But you, you got to have, like, some awareness of, you know, what's going on and just be like, yep, I screwed up. Unacceptable. It, it is what it is. Uh, you know, we'll move on. So he he's he's got a real risk of getting booed for the home opener if they don't uh, take uh, take what two out of three here. Um, is this three game series? Oh, he's getting he's getting booed regardless. Well, I don't know. I mean, look again. It's baseball season. There's, it's I'm not games. saying it's going to be unanimous. I'm just yeah. I mean, like I'm they not take saying two that or three against this. the Mets. People easily forget about this. I think. I mean, in fairness, though, the Mets I think are a better team than the Braves are. Yeah, it, it's, it's baseball. I, mean, anyway, I think that's I think that's another thing that is so infuriating about it is not only did you have, and this is something that Patalico and Ben Davis had kind of covered in the post game show after the third game, but you had a gift wrapped game in the first in that first matchup with Nola up five nothing, and and you you know, you overmanaged it, you screwed it up, you had to end up using your bullpen. This is the other thing that I don't get. He's out there making switches, and in spring training was out making switches moving guys all around, switching corner outfielders to play the percentages. If you have the ability mentally to come up with a game plan like that, that makes your inability to call down to the bullpen that much more inexcusable. But that's that's just me. Yeah, again, this goes back. And also, I mean, oh, sorry. And also, this whole let's pull Reese Hoskins after like six innings-ish to put in a defensive sub, I hate it. I, to me, like I get that he's not the greatest defensive uh, outfielder, and I think I said this last week. You put him in that position because he went out and signed Carlos Santana. Santana's a, a lovely player. I'm sure he's going to bring pop, and he's going to you know bring great leadership to the clubhouse and all that. And you know he's not just a veteran signing; like he's actually a difference maker. 
but you took a guy who's really the face of your team in a lot of ways, uh, at least in the NBC Sports Philadelphia coverage. His his picture's up there with, you know, Claude Giroux and Ben Simmons. So if, if he's the face of your team, and now he's a guy that you're only going to play for two-thirds of the game because he's a defensive liability because that's the position you put him in, I just think it doesn't... I don't know if it reflects poorly on Klentak or if it re- reflects poorly on... Uh, on Kapler, but when you're getting late into games and you need a run or you need two runs, and now all of a sudden you don't have one of your best, if not your best bat in the lineup because you pulled him for a defensive sub, you know, in a game you're losing, those are the things that are going to, they're going to drive me nuts. That, that I think more than anything. Yeah. And, um, you know, we talked about this with Bob, like there's, there's, you know, plenty of precedent for, for pulling a guy for a defensive sub, but, um, you know, this isn't quite a Pat Burrell situation where he's maybe your third, fourth, fourth best bat on some of those. Th- bat, pat the bat, thanks. Um, you know, maybe your third or fourth best bat on the team, and you could pull him, and he really is a, a genuine liability. Like this is, you know, the Phillies aren't that team. This is their best hitter, and you're taking out a, a key part in your lineup, and it, it it comes back to bite them in game one. But you know, I'm kind of like Bob. I have a little bit less of a problem with that. Let's see how it shakes out over the course of a year. Um, I mean, maybe he's seen more from him defensively to know just, you know, how much of a liability he is. Um, but, I mean, there's a, you know, we're going to keep seeing the Chip Kelly comparisons until something changes here. But um, there's a distinct Chip Kelly vibe here where every longtime baseball person, and it's interesting because Kapler played. It's not like he's he's just some guy. Um every longtime baseball person you could tell already hates him like you could see it in Kruk I mean I've never heard guys who are involved with the broadcast be this viciously negative um from from Kruk to the postgame guys um you know this is all part of the quote-unquote Phillies broadcast and while you can get a heated Ricky Batalico on occasion and and all of this you know typically the guys in the booth are you know papering over things and quite frankly that's what's made them I think was great about Harry is that he didn't do that and, and Tom McCarthy always sounds like he's you know speaking directly to ownership but I mean Kruk was you get livid um I again didn't see it live I was watching the Nova game I went back and put on um I always record post uh, post game live through YouTube TV and went back and rewatched post game live and I mean everyone there was apoplectic and just confused and um it's not a great look to start out, and Kapler's not helping himself by what he says after the fact. Um, who knows? Maybe this is just something we chalk up in the long run to a guy. It's his first weekend in the majors, and he's you know just a little bit overwhelmed. I, I think that's certainly a reasonable thing, but uh, I, I don't I don't know, man. You can't. It it feels like he's been practicing and thinking over all these situations and how am I going to strategically manage it. Um, but it goes back to the time old sabermetrics versus you know the human element approach whereas if in a vacuum in a video game or in a game seven of the world series you know some of these moves are are justifiable and strategically maybe correct if you're playing the numbers but you also you know you have to balance that with the feel of you're you're managing human beings and they got to go out there and throw every day and not everybody's at a hundred percent. And there's all sorts of other variables that come into play and you have to have the feel for, okay, when can I, you know, really try and manage this game to a win? And when do I just have to leave the pitcher out there and not, you know, just not overmanage this. And that's, 
it's a it's a time old debate, and um, I think we saw with Chip Kelly in some ways that this sort of like I think I'm smarter than everybody. It doesn't matter who I have out there if we're doing the right things. Sometimes you just got to rely on the guys being good players and you know quote unquote gutting it out, which is you know what Nola would have done in Game One. Um, you know, not even he was he was cruising. Just a weird it's a weird thing, and he's he's not looking good right now. Here's the thing that I think is going to help Kapler a lot. So he's got the next few series are against the Mets, the Marlins, the Reds, and the Rays, and the Braves again, and the Pirates. And the thing that all of those teams have in common is last year, they were all under 500. So if you have a stretch of, of games here, like you do, double-digit games, uh, now obviously the Mets are going to be better. They were injury-ravaged last year, but outside of the Mets... A lot of these teams are, um, you know, they're they're below 500 squads. Tampa Bay is still going to be tough. They're AL East tested and all that. But you're going into probably the next four or five series with a lot of winnable games. I don't think any of those series, except for maybe depends on how this Mets series goes. You're in New York or and you're in Tampa Bay. I think in those series, you should at least get one of three. But the other series really should either be a sweep or two out of three. I don't think this Phillies team is going to blow the doors off anybody, at least in the early going, and their pitching is obviously a major concern, but I do think they're going to be able, at least in this early going, to hit their way out of it. Scott Kingery has been playing all around the diamond. I'm really excited. I have him as a uh, uh, very late round pick in my fantasy baseball league, and I'm just waiting for Yahoo Sports to change his designation to you know pretty much like a utility player so I can play him wherever I want, because it's certainly not just going to be second base. He's, he's taking reps all around and he's looking great and he's been able to to hit even though he's been playing at least somewhat sporadically so that's been exciting um that i think that's enough about kapler today plus we have to kind of wrap uh was there anything else you wanted to say about kapler before we hit the road no did you see the end of the women's game yesterday no oh my god did you see what what happened? happened no oh buzzer beater for the championship really oh Ooh. Falling, I can't pronounce the girl's name, but she hit the big shot against UConn. Ola, Ola Wakande, uh, Ugon Buwale. Oh, wait, that Ugan was the national. Ch- oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yes. I, I had Sports Center up when I was editing the hockey podcast. I was watching it. I thought that was the Final Four. That was a title game. Huh. Yeah, I actually happened to have it on live um, just because we were scrolling. I was like, oh, look, 10 minutes ago, tie game. And uh, wow. It wound up there was a second, uh, one tenth of a second on the clock, which made the ending really awkward. But uh, what a shot. What? <laughs> What a shot. That's all I got. But there's an announcer cam out there floating around on Twitter of the uh, announcer crew, and I believe they had this camera for when she hit the big shot over UConn as well. And uh, all in, all in on the announcer cam, seeing uh, seeing uh, Adam Amin uh, as the announcer. The woman in the middle did not, like, she didn't react at all, which I thought was kind of strange, but whatever. Um, Really quick, Ben Simmons. by the way. Ben Simmons yesterday, and I want to kind of come back around to this really quick before we go. So I know that I've been hard on on, uh, Ben at points during the season, but Ben continues to be a joy to watch. I'm convinced he listens to the podcast. I said last week that he needs to, you know, pick up the scoring load and uh, had 20 points, 15 or 15 assists, eight rebounds, fell a little bit short. Fultz looked okay. Um, You really went out on a limb there saying the second best player should pick up the scoring load in the absence of the first best player. Look, he's been he's been passive, which is which is his role. But I'm glad to see that, you know, he's been picking up the scoring load where they needed. J.J. Redick, I think, went five for eight from three, had 20 points. Bellinelli, Ursan Ilyasova, bringing good veteran leadership, knocking down shots. 
it they've been exciting to watch and like we've said they have an easy schedule down the stretch except for i think they're going to have a rough game into on the interior against detroit they've got a big matchup coming up in a few days against cleveland outside of that i think they've got a, a pretty simple setup here so um they're still managing to win without Embiid, which is awesome to see so that's that's them uh for a recap of the flyers game the the overtime win against the boston bruins and an exclusive interview with Travis Sanheim. Make sure you subscribe and listen to Snow the Goalie podcast. That's Anthony Sanfilippo, who does the Flyers beat writing for CrossingBroad.com, and and me. I, I don't know what I bring to the table there, but uh, that episode is now live as well. Uh, as part of the Crossing Broad podcast network, you've got Snow the Goalie, you've got Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast, which is going to be Anthony and Bob Wankel tomorrow. Uh, if, I don't I don't know what time that's going to go out on Tuesday, but it will be out on Tuesday. They'll, I'm sure, have plenty to say about Gabe Kapler and his management of the bullpen. Uh, we'll be back again on Wednesday. We'll have another hockey show on Thursday. The two soccer shows over the weekend, Crossing Broad FC, which had a lot more listeners than I expected initially. And it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid. That is coming out over the weekend as well. Until then, we will talk to you guys on Wednesday. Make sure you go subscribe to the other shows as part of the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. And of course, get yourselves ready for Wednesday, April 11th, 7 p.m. at Six Feet Under Gastro Pub in Philadelphia for a live podcast. Get everybody out. It'll be a great night. We will talk to you again on Wednesday.